Uh, first of all, we've got our Nehemiah Wall Builders Prayer Initiative still going on to the end of this month. Uh, but we do got some slots that need to be filled. So uh, please, if you can, take a look back there. And we would love for you to commit to praying with us. Um, just talking to folks and listening, uh, God has answered a lot of prayers so far uh, throughout all of this. And, and God has done some great things. And I believe God's still got great things in store. But I believe we've got to keep praying. And so don't get lax now just because the end is almost in sight, all right? Let's keep praying and into the new year. We're going to keep on praying. And here in the next week or so, I'm going to offer another prayer challenge uh, with this towards the end of all this, just to spice it up a little bit, to get us kind of recharged, revamped, to keep, to keep going. I believe God's very much at work in this. Um, so, so please uh, sign up for that in the back. Um, and there's also a, a list at the back, or like a little, little uh, flyer for it in the back of the church in, in the lobby on the way out to kind of help you, guide you uh, through praying as well. Um, then this Thursday, the senior Christmas party uh, is happening at 10 o'clock. Um, it's going to be fellowship, food, praise the Lord, bring a side dish or dessert, and a $5 wrapped gift, all right? So that sounds exciting. So if you come, you're going to get to eat, and you're going to get a, a present. So Christmas is happening already, all right? So it's going to be a good time. Um, now the week of, uh, week of or before Christmas, the week of the 19th, how about that? Lots is going on, all right? I believe there's still flyers back there to kind of help you out. Stick it on your refrigerator so you know what's going on. Next Sunday, there will be no Sunday school. <gasps> All right. Uh, no nursery, no children's church. <gasps> a double. All right. We're doing that. We want our folks and our workers to be able to have a day off uh, for Christmas um, because we're going to have our 1030 worship service, and then right after, we're going to have our Christmas meal. All right. So the church is going to provide meat, drinks, I think some rolls. or, or so. We're going to provide some stuff. Y'all going to provide the rest, all right? So whatever you bring, we're going to eat it. If you don't bring it, we're not going to eat it, all right? So if you bring it, we'll eat it, okay? So bring some food, uh, side dishes, desserts, and all that stuff, and we'll have a good time as well. Uh, encourage you if you want to. You don't have to, but uh, if you want to be a part of it, uh, bring your, or wear, rather, your um, ugly Christmas sweater, all right? The uglier, the better, all right? So bring that ugly Christmas sweater and uh, just might have a prize or two for it uh, during the meal. Um, then that evening, we will not be having service here at the church, but rather we're going to be doing some Christmas caroling at the Commonwealth uh, Nursing Home. Uh, at 5.30, you can meet here, and we'll take the van over if you want to, or you can meet over there at the center. They ask us to get there a little early, so that way they can do any screening and stuff like that, make sure none of us are, are sick and all that stuff going in there. Uh, so just be mindful of those things. Then, Wednesday, December 22nd, uh, we will not be having a Tuesday night service. We're going to be moving it to Wednesday, all right? But that's okay. Uh, that night, we're going to be having our candlelight Christmas service. I promise you, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a very special service, um, a very uh, a beautiful service, It'll be a great night, some special singing and stuff. But that night, we're going to have a cookie social after our candlelight service. So that night, bring some cookies to share, um, and uh, we'll eat some cookies and, and uh prep for Santa Claus and stuff and all that good stuff, but uh, we'll have a good time that night. Uh, there's, I don't want to give the details away. I just want you to come, all right? I promise you it's going to be good, okay? Um, then we also got some Christmas cards for shut-ins. Uh, this year, we um, are encouraging everyone who is able and willing uh, to send Christmas cards out to all of our shut-ins. We have shut-in lists and addresses, names, all that stuff in the back in the lobby, so uh, please make sure you grab one of those, and it would be a great blessing uh, to our shut-ins this year. So lots going on with Christmas, lots going on with all the business and things, but today we're here to gather and to worship the Lord. So I hope that your heart is prepared, and I want to prepare us now by, by praying, going to the Lord and asking Him to help us today, and uh, then we're going to sing uh, today. And I'm grateful for the lights. I love Christmas time, love these Christmas carols that we get to sing and to celebrate what uh, the Lord has done for us. But uh, let's pray this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. We thank you for this, uh, this time uh, to gather, to worship you, Lord, that today our hearts and our minds would be focused on you. And Lord, I do pray, God, that you would uh, strengthen us and encourage us. And Lord, even convict us if that's what we need. God, I pray that today as your word is open, Lord, that our hearts would be open and, and changed by it. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would prepare our hearts for this Christmas season, Lord, that we would uh, be grateful and thankful, that we would uh, see and understand and, and celebrate the real reason, that is you sending your son Jesus to die uh, for us uh, sinful creatures, Lord. We do thank you for salvation offered through him alone. Today, if there's any need of any heart today, Lord God, I pray that you would meet that need as only you can, and that today, that everything would bring you glory and honor, which you deserve. Lord, we love you, we thank you for this time, and we give it over to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. If you're able, please stand. I'll get this mic on here in a minute. And we'll begin our worship in song. Hymn number 271, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, for the Lord hath comforted his people. Joyful, joyful, we adore you. Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of light, angels lifting praise before you, sing throughout this holy night. In a manger lies a baby, child of Mary, son of God, horses Three Kings, hymn number 288, Matthew 2.1 says, When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there came wise men from the east. We Three Kings. Christmas, hymn number 275, Luke 2, 13 and 14 says, There was a heavenly host saying, Glory to God in the highest. Sing we now of Christmas, no hell sing we hear. Listen to our praises, to the babe so dear. Sing we Noel, the King is born Noel. Sing we now of Christmas, sing we all Noel. In the town they found him, son of Mary, mom. Sleeping in a manger was the holy child. Sing we 
and sought and found him treasures did they bring bowing down they worshiped christ the king of kings sing we noel the king is born noel sing we now of christmas sing we all noel amen make everybody feel welcome this morning wave and smile like you mean it and everybody will feel welcome that way amen and after you do all that which will take a while you're already done ain't you? you can be seated <laughs> amen thank you okay we have some special music now by miss ann stone we always appreciate her she volunteers and after i asked her <laughs> but she's always willing i appreciate her lord bless you Oh, and her daughters are singing with her. Oh, man, what a bonus.
Nothing I can add to that song, but sure touched my heart. Born to die. One who was pure, holy, innocent, sinless, and perfect. And he died for a sinful, wretched, vile sinner such as I and you. What love. And what love. Pray with me now as we bow. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for that great love. Thank you for dying for us on the cross of Calvary so so freely and willingly and yet so innocent. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that great love. We thank you, Lord, for this time we can come and, and pray and, and sing and listen to some preaching. We thank you, Lord, that our pastor's back. We lift him up to you and ask, Lord, you would touch him now. And just give him liberty and boldness, clarity of thought and speech, and uh, impress upon his heart, Lord, the words, Lord, you would have him to speak on your behalf this morning. Help us to be listeners, and not just listeners, but doers of your word. Help us to be obedient and attentive to the message here this morning, and as we see what you have for us. And we thank you for everything that's been said and done thus far. We pray, Lord, it be pleasing to you and bring honor and glory to you. And we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, stand if you're able. As we sing, While Shepherds Watch Their Flock, hymn number 272. Luke 2.8 says, There were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Amen. Whilst birds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, the angel of the Lord came down and glory shone. this morning singing and let's give our pastor a good hand been a while since we've seen him and it's really good to have him back thank you pastor for showing up on the job this morning <laughs> thank you well appreciate you guys this morning and uh this time uh children ages four to six we dismissed for children's church ages four to six for children's church Vacation is always nice, and, and by nice, it's real nice, <laughs> but uh, it, there really is no place like home, and I uh, really uh, miss being here with you guys, and thankful for those who uh, filled in and who've helped out and been a part and everything, and, and uh, grateful that church doesn't happen, and I, and I would love to say, church doesn't happen because a pastor is there. Church happens because God's people gather, and God is there in their midst. That is church, all right? I'm thankful to be just a small part of what God is doing here in this little place. And I believe God is doing great and big things. And uh, God does big things with little things, doesn't he? As we've been talking about and as preparing for Christmas, God's going to take this little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and offer salvation to all who will come to him. So this morning, uh, take your Bibles and turn <clears throat> with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2 this morning. 
Over the next couple of weeks, um, I, I love Christmas uh, series and, and messages and things um, for, a, for a whole lot of reasons. Um, there's a lot of scripture there. Uh, one, two, uh, the way the Lord works and, and normally folks are normally a little more receptive and sweet and normally even the preacher's a little more holly jolly than the rest of the year. So um, your toes might be safe for the next couple of weeks. I don't know. Mine might be too. Um, nevertheless, as we come here, uh, the next couple of weeks, what I want to look at is the whole message of Christmas. And the message of Christmas, as you guys know, it's, it's not about gift bags, it's not about you know, the wrapping, and it's not about the hustle and bustle. Now granted, is there going to be plenty of gifts, and there's going to be plenty of food, there's going to be plenty of hustle and bustle. Absolutely, if you don't believe me, go to Walmart, alright? It's there already, okay? It, it, it has begun. It began like a month and a half ago. It's already here. The real message of Christmas, you guys know, is the very first word found in the word Christmas. It's Christ. Christmas is about Christ. And I want you to know that <clears throat> this whole thing is even not just about <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus coming, but coming to die for us and to raise again that third day to offer life to all who will believe. Just as we've sung all this morning, just as we heard beautifully sung by those ladies up here singing about this, he was born to die for us. That is the beauty of Christmas. And not just that we have this little babe in a manger, as we're going to talk about this morning. But today we're going to see that the gospel is truly all throughout all of Christmas. Now today's focus, verse uh, number 1 down through 7, I want to read for us. Today we're dealing with the gospel and the manger. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. I'm grateful that we can gather. We can worship you, Lord. Thank you for the songs that have been sung this morning, Lord, for um, just this opportunity now to open up your word. And I pray, God, that you would open up our hearts to it. Lord, that we would not just um, sit and, and hear some words, but Lord, that we would have our hearts changed by what you've done for us and what you've shown us and revealed to us in your word. God, I pray for uh, direction, for protection, for, for strength today, that you would guard my heart and my mind, and Lord, that today you would be glorified in all that we say and do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look here today at the gospel and the manger. Uh, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at how the gospel is in several of these things that we sing about and talk about at Christmas. But the gospel is the good news. The gospel is not just good news, but it's good news to a, a sinful world, to a sin-cursed world, to a sin-cursed people who are lost and undone and need uh, need hope, need a salvation. Now, you can give plenty of gifts this Christmas, and, and there will be plenty of gifts exchanged. But the greatest gift that there ever has been is that God gave us His Son through His love. He has given us His Son, not just to have a cute Christmas story, to have uh, Christmas lights or Christmas pageants, but so that, that way that little boy, who is, we're going to see in verse 7, who's wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, is going to grow up and live a sinless, perfect life to fulfill the law, to die on an old rugged cross, to die on a tree for you and me, to, to die in our stead, to die the death that you and I deserve. That is the gospel of Christmas. That is the gospel, period. That is the good news that we need this Christmas season, going into next season, going into January, February, March, April, May, June, July, so on and so forth. We need it every day. We need this gospel message. First of all, today, verses 1 through 3, we're going to look at the decree. How many of you guys like history? All, all right. And the rest of you guys just raised your hand for obligation purposes. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Anyone else is kind of joining? Yeah, well, they raised their hand. I guess we like history. Verses 1 through 3, we see that there's a decree that goes out. And this is going to be a little bit of a history lesson, but it, it, there's a reason. All right? If you break down the word history, what are the first three letters? His, right? And then story, <laughs> right? His story. The history of the universe, the history of creation, the history of all mankind does not belong to mankind, but it belongs to God. Everything that God has been doing from Genesis 
where there was nothing created yet, has been preparing us for the day that the Messiah would come and that He would ultimately die for our sins to offer redemption and eternal life. All of creation, all of history, all of everything points to the Gospel message. Now, verses 1-3, through says, It came to pass in those days that there went a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. You and I have a couple guarantees when we are born into this world. One, you're going to die. Two, you're going to pay taxes. They had to pay taxes then too. They didn't like it then either, right? Now we're probably taxed more than they were, but here's the taxing news we're going to get into. The government's decree, first of all, I want us to answer this. Historically, this will help us out a little bit to see where we're at. Who is Caesar Augustus? All right, here's a little brief history lesson. And what this does, you go, why does he include the names? Well, Luke, the author here, he's a pretty smart guy, but especially smart as he's been given these words to be penned down, inspired by the Holy Ghost of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to give us the Word of God as he's writing this, uh, to include the details. The details of the Bible have always and have will always be continuously proven to be accurate. This Bible is not just a list of do's and don'ts. Rather, it is a true history revealing of what God who God is and what God has been doing from the foundations long before he, uh, the foundations of the world have begun. It reveals us God, but as well, all throughout the historical names, actions and figures and, and even dates and things, we find to be today historically and archaeologically accurate. Praise God for that, because you know what that means? This book before you is the Word of God, and it remains true. That's what we need. We need the truth of Christmas. We need the truth of the gospel. We need the truth, period. So now here, first of all, Caesar Augustus was born with a different name. Uh, He he was born with the name Octavian. Has anyone ever heard of Octavian? If not, you're about to, all right? You're welcome. (laughs) All of your your questions you came in here to this morning going, I wonder who Caesar Augustus is. You're about to get it answered right now. His name was Octavian when he was born. His great uncle was Julius Caesar. Anyone ever heard of Julius Caesar? Anyone ever heard of his dressing or salad? Caesar salads? All right. That's, that's what he did. All right. Really famous for his salads. All right. <laughs> Y'all good? Y'all with me? Tracking? All right. His great uncle was Julius Caesar, the, the ruler of the empire at this point in time. Now, Octavian, as his name was, he was adopted by his great uncle Julius and named the heir in 45 BC. Now, Julius Caesar, though, uh, he, his life came to an, an abrupt end. Shortly after uh, making Octavian the heir, he was murdered. And this left Octavian, another man named Mark Antony, and another man named Lepidus to form what would be called a triumvirate of rule over the Roman Empire. So they went from Julius Caesar and his famous salad ruling over all the land. He is murdered, and it should have been Octavian to take the place, but instead it becomes Octavian and two other guys, all battling for position, all ruling together all the while, all trying to gain power for themselves. If you want to know what uh, humanity and our very nature looks like, it's found here. We are always vying for more attention, more power, more authority, more greed, more riches, more everything. We want, 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 right? Christmas shows that, unfortunately, all too well, doesn't it? It shows our nature that all we care about is stuff, 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 more, more, more. We want more power, more this, more that. Uh, Now, as we get older, we tend to not. We're pretty content with figgy pudding and socks, right? We're we're doing pretty good there. Uh, But when we're young, we we want all this stuff. And here, these men, they wanted more power and more greed, more authority, more everything that they could possibly have. What this led to was years of war and struggle, both with each other and and against each other as well. First, Octavian and Mark Antony, they kind of get together and accordingly, hey, let's take out Lepidus. He's the weakling, all right? So they take out Lepidus and then kind of look at each other and they're like, well, let's take each other out. I don't know. And so they develop their own armies. They begin to fight each other. They're trying to figure out who's going to be the, the rightful ruler of the Roman Empire. And mind you, the Roman Empire at this point in time literally is the whole known world just about. They have conquered and gone conquering every land. And they have done so with, with ruthless uh, battle tactics. And, and they have done so in, in ways of which they've gone in. And they've said either you're going to be uh, submissive or we'll kill you and then you'll submit, right? One way or the other. You're going to be a part of our empire and we're going to rule with an iron fist. And that's exactly what they did. 
But Octavian, after these years of war and struggle, would ultimately defeat Lepidus and Mark Anthony to take full authoritative control over Rome. Now, his name would be changed from Octavian to Caesar Augustus once he obtains his power. And uh, now Caesar Augustus here, uh, the name Augustus means divine or sacred. Now, this is important. The reason why they give him the name Augustus as sacred is because starting with his great uncle Julius Caesar, remember the salad guy? All right, Julius Caesar. He is uh, the famous emperor of Rome, but it is after his death that he is then declared to be a god. I want you to know there is no man that has ever lived uh, that was ever a god except for the God-man Jesus Christ. Everyone else has fallen short. Everyone else has been full of sin. Everyone else has been wicked. Everyone else has died and stayed dead. Jesus would later die and rise again. I want you to know, long before we even get into the rest of this message today, or before the rest of the Christmas messages to come, if we were to go and define the manger today, right? if we could somehow find you know what it would be? Empty. You know if we could go find that same cross that Jesus died on? You know what it would be? Empty. You know what you can do? You can actually go see the tomb where they believe he was buried. Empty. Why? Because he has bled and died and risen for us, and one day he is going to come back again for his people. He has came once to bleed and die for his people, to be a sacrifice for his people. But one day he's going to come, and he's going to rule and reign forevermore. And he will set up his own empire. He will set up his own kingdom. And it shall have no end, according to the Scripture. Praise God for that. But Augustus here, after Julius Caesar's death, it was declared that emperors had lineages that traced back to the gods and goddesses. And that's a bunch of baloney, all right? So we know that to not be true, all right? They didn't. You know who they could trace their ancestry back to? Their father, the devil. They were full of wickedness and idolatry and sinfulness. If anyone they're related to, it's him. It's not, it's not God. Now, furthermore, Augustus here is viewed as a political messiah. He is uh, bringing about uh, the sort of peace and stability to the empire. And this totally contrasts what Jesus comes to do. Jesus does not come to be a political messiah. And I want you to know what we need now in America is still not a political messiah. What we need is to trust and to bow our knee to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the one and the only one who has authority and right over your life and mine. That's it. We, right, we, we get wrapped up in politics. They got wrapped up in politics. Why? Because that's human nature. It's what we do. They were doing it then. They believed that he could be a political messiah. In this contrast, though, that Jesus, who would be born in the flesh, yet without sin, and being completely God, Whereas Augustus was born in the flesh, and they thought he was a god, but he was certainly not God. You want proof? He died. He's still dead. He's rotted. It's disgusting, right? He's gone. He's not coming back. Jesus, total opposite here. God putting on flesh to come for us. Not in that first coming for his own power or his own authority or his, his own anything. He wasn't coming to set up his own kingdom when he first came. Rather, he came to preach the kingdom that you must be born again if you want to come into my kingdom. And my kingdom is not of this world. And he would go on to show and to say and describe exactly what the scripture says that one day he will come again and to establish that kingdom. But here Caesar Augustus, like all good political leaders, seeks to tax the people, right? That's the most political thing anyone can do is let's tax the folks, right? And that's what he does. He seeks uh, and desiring to bring about peace and stability. He needs more money for that. The Roman Empire, being full of idolatry and immorality, is gross and, and wicked and vile. And he calls for this taxing to be able to rebuild some things, to be able to restabilize some things. Now, this taxing. This is not just a taxing for getting money purposes, but as well as census. This empire is stretched out so vastly that they're trying to figure out who's a part of it, well, you know, what are they like? Where are they at? Where's everybody at? Where are they going? Where do they come from? All of these things. And as well to get the tax money so that they can fund the soldiers and the expanse and the rebuilding of this empire. Now, uh, the taxing here shows as well, the taxing and the census both are not for the benefit of the people, are they? No. In case you were wondering about your taxes and mine, they're not really used for our benefit, right? <laughs> right? We, you want proof? Go look at our potholes. All right? They're there. Okay? All right? That's, that's part of it. 
the, po- the politicians that Caesar Augustus here, he sends out the taxes, sends out the census, not to help the people, but rather to expand his rule and riches over the people. Now, this would be the first of many historically accounted for census and taxes that would be placed during this time. This would be just the first of, of a long wave of many census and taxes that would take place all throughout even the life of Christ with uh, different emperors as they go through uh, throughout the ages. Now, notice this. He says that all the world should be taxed. All the world here is all of their empire. And to them, it was all the world. It says, and this tax was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. This is accurate, both biblically and historically. And then he says it all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. His own city is his place of family heritage and legacy. Now, that's the government's decree here. But then I want you to see that there's something greater taking place. There is God's decree that has happened long before Augustus decides he wants to tax people and bring about a census. Long before Augustus sat down and said, hey, you know, we got to number the people. we got to tax the people. we got to rebuild. we got to do these things. God has already orchestrated this whole thing. God has orchestrated this throughout time and eternity and throughout all of human history because all of human history is headed towards the cradle and past the cradle and to the cross. Everything is pointing to the epicenter of, and the climax of all of human history, and that is where the Son of God would pay the price to offer life to all who would come to Him. How do I know? First of all, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and I want to read down through verse 14 for you. It tells us about the eternal plan of God. This little taxing and little census that Augustus is doing to gain his power and rule and authority over the people, it does not catch God off, uh, catch God by by surprise or off guard. Matter of fact, this is all a part of God's plan to get Mary, Joseph, and the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger in Bethlehem, where it was prophesied, foretold, to where he will grow up and and be in the right place, the right time, to eventually be in the right cross, the right time, the right reason die for us, to offer life for us. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us this, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, notice this, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of the children of by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. Excuse me in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Not Augustus, not Octavian, not those guys, no. Rather, in whom, he says, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Amen and amen to that. We see Ephesians 1 shows that all of history from eternity past to eternity future is all a part of God's plan and purposes. Long before we get to day one and day two of Genesis and day of creation, God has already known and orchestrated the plan of salvation. That is why the Bible tells us who has known the mind of the Lord. Who has been his counselor? And his ways are not our ways. That who could come up with salvation or the plan of salvation or the way of salvation other than God? None could. It is God and God alone who does this. You want further proof about, uh, about this uh, decree from God himself? Proverbs 21 verse, uh, verse 1 tells us this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. <clears throat> there are a lot of folks who have a, a, a problem with understanding or accepting the sovereignty of God. I want you to know this. God perfectly knew who would be the Caesar. He perfectly knew 
when Jesus would be born and sent. It is the right place, right? Everything. He wasn't just going along and go, well, let's go now. Let's do this now. Let's see what happens here. Look at this. This even could be said, how does the tax happen? How does the census happen? You could say because of the government's decree, but I would say because of God's decree. Because God is bringing about His little uh, folks into this little town to bring about the greatest news and the biggest news that there ever has been is that is Christ has come. That the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth whithersoever he will. I believe Augustus gets the bright idea from the Lord turning his heart. Why? Because he's preparing everything for the coming Messiah. Furthermore, we have the destination, verses 4 and 5 of Luke chapter 2. The destination is this little town of Bethlehem. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And we can stop here, and we'll address this as we go through some more Christmas sermons. Y'all have got to understand this, a couple things. One, Mary and Joseph. Joseph here is not the father, all right? This is God's son. This is uh, Mary, who is a virgin who has been uh, conceived the, uh, through the Holy Ghost, who is, brought, is now carrying this child. The same one who created all things is now inside this virgin's womb. The, the same hands that had created Mary are getting ready to be held by Mary. These tiny little hands that created all things. And that is what's going on here. It is mind-boggling. It is incomprehensible to understand the depths and riches of what God is doing here. But God is doing something with a little town, this uh, little insignificant group of people, to do the greatest thing that could ever possibly be done. To do the greatest thing that has ever been done. Now the journey that takes place here from Nazareth to Bethlehem takes about 80 miles. Now, they don't get to hop in their Chevys. They don't get to hop in their... Just Chevys, right? They don't get to hop in that and, and to drive the 80 miles to get there, right? They, they don't get to uh, just uh, take a train or, or a plane. No, no, they are walking or riding a donkey, or, uh, and it's not going to be comfortable. They don't have the, the nice paved roads like we've got here, okay? Even with the potholes. Now, they, they, they are walking, they're, they're going. This is costing time and money to travel. Now, the city of which they're going to says the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem sits about five miles outside of Jerusalem. And this is important. Jerusalem is the capital, and this also foreshadows the fact that Jesus is not even going to be welcomed in the place that should receive him. If any place should be receiving him, it, you would think the place of a king would be Jerusalem. You would think the place, the birth of a king, would be uh, the palace or, or, the, or the temple. But instead, it's going to be outside. The same place where Jesus is going to be crucified is going to be outside. You're going to take him outside the wall so that we can crucify him there. We see that he is going to be continuously and constantly rejected of his own people. But Bethlehem's meaning, the word Bethlehem is very important here. In Hebrew, Bethlehem is two words and means house, which Beth as in Bethel or Bethel, which is the house of God, and bread, which is Lehem. So Bethlehem meaning literally the house of bread. Now, that would seem so insignificant unless we understand the rest and have read the rest of the Bible. Later, Jesus is going to say, I am the bread of life. Lest any man partake of me, he will not live. He has the bread that has been offered and that has been given to us that if we would partake of Christ, that we would never hunger or thirst again. The bread of life is being born in the house of bread to be offered to these people. We find here, God has no accidents here. God has foreordained this place, to foreordain the bread of life to be born in the house of bread, this prophesied city, as Micah 5.2 tells us this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That tells us several things. One, Bethlehem is the prophesied city. Two, Jesus is the prophesied Savior. And three, Jesus is the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. 
Jesus might have been born there that day in Bethlehem, but he had certainly been from eternity past to eternity future. It was Jesus who was very much there with the Father and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, perfect harmony within the Godhead that had designed and decreed the way of salvation in eternity past, as we had read about in Ephesians 1. And now, this little city, this royal lineage of the city, the, the prophes, uh, prophesied and the promised king, is born the prophesied and promised city, the city of King David. The one who received the promise that it would be through his lineage would come the Savior who would rule and reign forevermore. We see the promises and the prophecies constantly and continuously fulfilled throughout all of the Christmas stories, throughout all of what Christ would do and throughout all of how he lived, throughout all that he did, and throughout how he died and how he rose again. And we're going to see more prophecies to come. That he's coming again. Now, furthermore, we look at this. He says, he goes... In verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now, Mary does not legally have to go with him to this, but there are several reasons that he goes, or that she goes with him. One, she is great with child. You know what that means? She's really, 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 really pregnant at this point. Right? She's, the baby's due <clears throat> any day. Now, times are a little bit different there. They could predict as best as they could then. Nowadays, it's pretty, well, they can tell you the date. You'll probably have baby around 2 o'clock. I don't know. We don't know. Maybe. But here, she's great with child. And furthermore, the scripture has also told us that Joseph was a just man. That Joseph did that which was right. He had the opportunity to, to put her away or to end the, the engagement period. And by the way, their uh, marriage period was sort of courting. Uh, being a spouse, meaning engaged, which is already committed, they were at the point where they were basically considered married at this point. Uh, th th this is this point in time where, where it, it's pretty much a done deal, but he had the right and, and doesn't do so. He's a, he's a just man. He's a righteous man. He's trusting in the Lord. He's trusting in whatever God is doing here. And she's great with child, so she comes with him on this. And now we get to the delivery in verses 6 and 7. And so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. What a painful but beautiful time to be this virgin mother. And to see Joseph and Mary, here they are, and going, okay, it's showtime. Here we are. It says in verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The delivery, first of all, was, was uncommon. The delivery was uncommon because it wasn't taking place around her family. There was no midwife. There was no one to help out and to, uh, take care of things. This is her first child, and, and she's having him as she is literally a virgin mother. There's been none other like that. Now, she would go on to have other children, and she would be just as in need to trust this newborn babe for her salvation as anyone else, mind you. All right? Let's not get that twisted here. This is uncommon. It says that she brought forth her firstborn son. God entrusts her with his son. That is no accident. This is divine decree. This is divine sovereignty over the hand, not just uh, over Mary, but over his own son, wife, the great purpose to raise him up to deliver his people. And it says about how it's quite the uncomfortable delivery as well. Wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's uncomfortable, one, because she's giving birth. Giving birth, from what I understand, is, is equally as painful as when a man has a cold. Is that right? Right? No, it's worse. It's awful. Right? If you took home health, you see and you go, oh my goodness gracious, right? You think women are absolute heroes and warriors okay that's what you guys are who have birthed all of us if you are alive you came from a woman one way or another praise god for them it is painful it is difficult but yet the moment that mary holds her little boy it's all worth it isn't it all worth it it's worth the 80 mile journey it's worth the ridicule that they faced as she was a virgin, but of course all the rumors in Nazareth are that this is, uh, this is not a good setup here with Mary and Joseph. 
that she's faced the rumors, she's faced the traveling, she's faced the fact that she's had to deliver her own child by herself. And mind you, there's no midwife. They're literally in a manger, and there's no room for them in the inn. We want to talk about a delivery here. This is truly miraculous. It is truly showing that God has big plans here. You see, there's no shelter, there's no privacy, there's no proper place here. First of all, to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, newborn baby Jesus does not get a robe yet. He doesn't get a crown yet. He doesn't get any of those things that a newborn king would get. He doesn't get a scepter. He doesn't get the adoration yet. None of those things. Instead, he doesn't even get a, a new onesie that says baby boy or anything. He gets swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes, the word literally means torn strips of cloth. Swaddling clothes are torn or, or ripped cloth. They were used for a couple of things. One, bandages, wrapping newborns, and as well to bandage or wrap dead bodies. Jesus was born to die. See, the difficult thing for this mother here, I don't know that Mary knows. Who knows if Mary knows all the end of this at the, this point? She knows it right now. She's holding her newborn babe, and all she's got for him is these swaddling clothes, these strips of cloth that she has wrapped him up in as best as she can, as she motherly can, with all the love that this new mother has. And boy, what a picture, what an image that God is doing here. These swaddling clothes, it would be the same sort of clothes that would be used to one day lay him in a borrowed tomb. He's got borrowed clothes. He's got a borrowed mom. He's not going to need her forever. He's got a borrowed cross. He's got a borrowed tomb. All of this is pointing to what Christ has come to do. All of this is pointing to the Gospel. Now, this manger as well, much emphasis is always placed here. The manger was literally a feeding trough for animals made of wood and held together with nails. It will not be but so long and the years will roll on quickly, especially for Mary, I'm sure, as Jesus grows up. And instead of going back to a manger, he will be going to something that is certainly made of wood and, and nails. It will be a cross made of wood, rough and rugged, fastened together with nails. And then he will be fastened to that tree, to those wooden pieces put together, and he will be held there with nails. If this alludes to so much that the gospel is found here at the manger, the fact that the same way he comes in and is laid there is the same way he's going to be then laid upon the cross to bear the wrath of God against sin, to literally become sin, that he who knew no sin became sin. Your sin and my sin. And, and that this Christmas, the greatest thing that you can experience it is not just found there at that manger that Christ has come, but it's found with the wood and the nails that would travel along with Him all the way to that death on Calvary's hill. To offer you hope. To offer you eternal life. To offer you forgiveness. To offer you peace that you certainly need this Christmas season. Now here, there's no room for them in the inn. There's many different ideas and thoughts about, well, was it because there was a mental... Was it a mean innkeeper? He said... Ah, no, get out of here. We, we don't know. Was it because the, the place was packed and was full? It is quite possible because, uh, remember, everyone else is getting taxed and has to go be a part of the census too, so everybody and their mama is in Bethlehem right now. And it's a small town. They're there, and they're gathered. And, and what the whole point is this, that there is no room for them. There's no place for a king. There's no room for the king of the Jews that night that he's born. There's no room in the inn, no room in the homes, no room in their hearts. And they made no room. Certainly, everyone in here this morning, if you heard of a new baby being born that had no place to live, what would you probably do? Right? You're going to make sure that that little baby's got a place to stay. Here, not so much. I want you to turn with me now, backwards, to Matthew chapter 27. 
Matthew chapter 27. We've seen the decree. We've seen the destination. We've now experienced the delivery of Christ in this world. Now we're going to find His despising. Literally from the very beginning of His life, He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He has borne our sorrows, borne our sins. Every single one of them. Now as Matthew chapter 27 tells us this, while they had no room in the inn, the creation had and made no room for their Creator. Whether it was the innkeeper or the fact there were so many people or whether they just had no place. or There was nothing there regardless. And even later on in Jesus' life and ministry, He would say that He had no place to lay His head. Foxes have holes. Birds got nests. Son of Man's got no place. Here, in Matthew 27, they finally made room for Jesus. It says in verse number 11, and Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now that at the feast the governor was wont to release the people a prisoner whom they would, they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Who are ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. They didn't want him just killed. They wanted him destroyed. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And other gospels, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. They had no room for him in the inn. They made no room at his birth, but they certainly made room for him at his death. You see, the cross of which Jesus died was meant in the divine decree of God. It was meant for Christ. Because Barabbas, who was sinner, who was sinful, who was a rebel, who was a murderer, who was an insurrectionist, who was someone who tried to be a political messiah to take down Rome. It was meant for him. And he was going to die justly. He deserved the cross. Jesus, though, was innocent. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Innocent. Innocent before the foundations of the world, yet before the foundations of the world. Decreed to be sent to die this death for us. And on that day, a similar fashion, as Jesus would be at His birth, laid into a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes there, that manger made of rugged wood and nails, with no room and nobody else wanting Him except for His mother. There, instead, the day of His death, on this day, after being beaten, after being mocked and ridiculed and made fun of as the king and... uh, mockingly fake worshipped as he was put on a robe and a crown of thorns. He is then held to that wooden cross with those rough, sharp nails where he would bleed and die. The world would choose rebellious, murdering insurrectionists over their Savior. They made room that day to see to it that Jesus would be destroyed, that he would die. Praise be to God that He did not stay dead and that He rose again 
took off those swaddling clothes at His birth and at His death and has risen victorious over hell, death, and the grave to offer forgiveness of your sins and mine. And this Christmas, what we must do is to make sure that we've got room. As we bring this to a close, I want you to know, first of all, at that cross of Christ, at this cross today, at this crossroads of your own life maybe, there is room at the cross for you. While they made room for Jesus to die that day, Jesus in His death has made room for you to come. And all who will come to Christ, He will in no wise cast out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Today, do you know that gift? Would you come to the cross today and be saved? Would you be born again? Would you put your trust in this Jesus today? Come today. See the empty manger. See the empty cross. See the empty tomb. There is room for you today. For those of us who are saved, while we love the carols and we love the decorations and half of us are shopping and the other half are waiting till the night before to go to the Exxon station and see what we can get for our wives and last minute shopping and all those things, we're going to be so caught up in running to grandmas, running to moms, running to here, running to there, buying this, wrapping that, eating this, cooking that. We'll sing the carols. We'll come to the services. and Everything else in between is rush, 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 rush. Is there room? And I'm talking about truly room for Christ in your heart this Christmas. I'm talking about where if, if you got rid of the gifts, you got rid of the, all the decorations and everything else, if you just had Jesus, if you just simply had Jesus this Christmas, would it be enough to satisfy your soul? I want you to know it would be. But right now, your heart is thumping telling you if it is right now or not. Is there room for Christ this Christmas? In your heart? How about in your home? Today, the message of the manger. The Gospel at the manger is the good news of the Gospel of Christ that He has come, that He has suffered, that He has died, that He has rose again to offer you eternal life. Will we accept believe that message, that gospel at the manger? Will we celebrate the gospel at the manger? Or will we have the decorations and see the lights and see everything else? Forget what this is all about. Today we're going to have a time of invitation. And as this piano plays and, and we all stand, let's all stand. <laughs> Today if you need to, to trust Christ, you can come and I'll take the Bible and show you and, and you can just simply ask Jesus to save you and He will. Today, I would hope that you would find room, maybe you're at this altar, which is plenty of room for you today, you would make sure that there is room this Christmas in your heart and your home for this babe who was there in that manger pointing to the fact that He would die for you. And may we celebrate and know the real message and the real meaning of Christmas. Would you come?
Our Heavenly Father, we come to You this time, and God, we thank You for Your Word, for the great gift of Your Son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would have room, this church, this community would have room for Christ, and that our focus would be Christ this Christmas. wouldn't be anything else. And not just here at Christmas, but Lord, every day of our life, that You would be our focus, that You would be our, our goal, it would be about Your glory, and Your Gospel that You've given to us to encourage us and to save us, but as well as to spread throughout. Lord, I pray that as we give gifts and time and all this stuff this Christmas season, God, that we would give something far greater and that we would give folks the Gospel. That we would tell people, not just about the babe lying in a manger, but that we would tell them about what You've done, that you, He has bled and died for us, that we could be saved. Lord, we thank You for that salvation. We thank You for the work that You've done and are continuing to do in hearts and lives. And may You continue to do a great work as only You can. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. And go with us. In Christ's name, Amen. Hymn number 277. Hark the herald angels sing. Joy. 